Good morning, everybody. It's Brian with Security Squawk Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Reginald Andre and uh, Randy Brian. How are you, gentlemen? Welcome to the show. Good Another morning. show. Good morning. How you doing, man? I'm well. I'm well. So other other than we always talk about the weather, so it's 20 degrees here. I don't know what it is where you are, but it's effing cold now. And yeah, it's the same here. I think it's like 45. We're all uh, dying. Yeah, it's 20. It's not 40. It's 20 here. 40. I'll take 45. So, all right, guys, welcome to the podcast where we uh, we educate you on what the heck is going on there around cybersecurity. Break it down to a level. I think that everybody understands. Um, I don't think we talk over anybody here. We try not to at least. Um, remember we take comments while we're recording live, uh, questions. If you have any, drop them in the, uh, comments down below, uh, on your favorite platform, wherever you're watching us right now. Uh, I think we're broadcasting live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and definitely YouTube. I don't know if we're anywhere else. I forget. Um, and, uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, an interesting FBI warning, um, some statistics on a study that was done where it's eye-opening on some of these statistics on how successful hackers are um, getting in the systems. Uh, a log4j problem that uh, is out there in the wild that's, you know, I predicted that log4j was probably going to be equal, if not more, than the exchange um, issue that we had back in the spring that is still being exploited today. Uh, I think Log4j is is going to exceed that in exploitations uh, along the way here, especially in 2022. Um, and then we're still having issues in U.S. schools, guys, with, you know, cyber attacks, even though the government's been dumping millions of dollars in the last couple of years to combat this problem. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to jump into that. Um, so those, those are the four topics we're going to jump into today. But remember, before we dive into this stuff, folks, uh, help us grow our show and get the word out. Um, there's value in what we're putting out here. We don't charge for it. So the only fee that we ask is you share the show, share it with your friends, share it with your family, let people know that this is out here. Uh, and if they spend, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes listening to us, they might pick up something. And get a little educated, get a little smarter about what to do to protect themselves from these cyber criminals that, as we're going to show you today, are so prolific. So anything you guys want to uh, talk about before we jump into these topics? Just a lot of good stuff to talk today that about today yeah. that's going to, uh, you know, really apply to your average business and your average business owner for sure. Or anybody that's, you know, anybody really. I mean, quite frankly, we break some of this stuff down to the personal level, right? We talked about mm -hmm. password managers before, um, and everybody should be using those, whether you, you know, are employed, self-employed, or out of work. You know, you should. Everybody should be using a password manager uh, at this stage of the game. So uh, let me uh, let me pull up our first topic for today, and this is a little bit of a crazy one to me. Um, I guess because I'm so into security and I would never do something like this. But um, apparently we have to have an FBI warning about hackers mailing malicious USB flash drives to spread ransomware. So screw phishing attempts and screw trying to break in somebody's front door. Let's just mail them a cute little fancy looking device. You know, maybe maybe you put Google on it. Maybe you put a logo on it that somebody's familiar with. So, so they think, oh, well. 
Google would never send me ransomware. I'm going to stick this in my flash drive and my, in my computer, this flash drive. So let's talk about this article. Uh, Andre, what's going on here? What, what do people need to be worried about? And what are some things, I guess, you know, we'll go over to Randy for some things that we can do to protect ourselves, but what's the issue here? Yeah, so we have the cyber criminal group. Um, they go by the name of Fin7, and they've essentially been sending malicious packages to various companies. And I would even, um, I would go to the extent where this is like an easy target because you can find corporations that have like, like an in-house marketing staff or something like you mentioned that puts Google and like, okay, you need to update your, your Google My Business page or you need to update something on your, on your website or whatever. And you put the logo and then what happens then is you have the employee plug in that USB drive into their computer and then in the background without them even knowing there's some type of uh, malicious activity happening. And then from there, hackers are able to get into the systems and then now put uh, ransomware and other things like that. So essentially, FBI is saying don't plug in USB drives that are mailed to you um, into your computers because there is active um, things happening regarding that. Yeah, this is a pretty huge vulnerability because you can secure your your company network, you can secure your users all day long. And then I almost everybody I know, um, I'm sad to say, but would probably, if they got a cool looking USB, would probably put it in their computer to see what's in there, especially if there was a nice little enticing message. This reminds me of one of my favorite uh, shows, series was uh, Mr. Robot. And Mr. Robot basically hacked the whole, well, not the, the main uh, character basically hacked the whole financial system of the world, um, if you will. And he did it by making rap CDs. And then he took the rap CDs and just dropped them in front of the financial uh, companies that he was trying to infiltrate. Um, bottom line, a couple people picked him up. They were like, hey, I like rap. Popped it in their, in their computer upstairs inside the uh, building. And that was how he was able to get in. And I know that's fictional, but the reality is um, it can happen. Um, and this is a this is a big vulnerability. And you asked earlier, like um, maybe Randy could look at some things. What can you do to stop this? Well, we have software av avail available. Your antivirus software, most likely. There's other softwares out there that will block, can block basically anything on a USB drive, can block all new processes from running. There's a lot of different ways um, that, you know, that this can that this can be blocked. So bottom line is um, it is a a big vulnerability, but there are things we can do to stop it. That's that's uh, and, and, and these things are like things that people look at and go, oh, I'll never fall victim to that. Like but like when these things happen, you don't realize that they're happening. Right. Those guys mm -hmm. who picked up the CDs in your in the, in the show you described all they cared about was free rap music. Right. Right. And that's where your mind's at until, you know, and if, you know, Google says I could easily send a flash drive to a business and say, here's $500 in free Google advertising. Just plug in this flash drive to see the coupon code. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's how simple it is. And nobody's thinking like, Oh, this is a malicious thing. I need to check it. Right. So, um, 
it's it's reality. It does happen. The and, and I guess the other thing we need to point out is the FBI doesn't just put out, you know, warnings, right? They they are at a deep level. Let's call it layer seven level, right? Where they are ob, uh, observing things and observing activity and traffic on the internet. And there's a reason why they're putting this out. It's the same reason why they put out the warning to emanate companies that go going under acquisition and MA, right? That it's because they see activity around this. And it's the same thing here. They're seeing activity around this. They're like companies are getting ransomware and the FBI is being notified and the investigators are going in and they're saying, how'd you get this? And they're, they're going back to somebody plugging in a flash drive somewhere. And, and, and this is like a new way of being attacked. So what are some things that people can do? I'll bounce over to you, Andre, and then Randy. Um, what are some things people can do to, to kind of protect themselves from this kind of attack? I guess besides the obvious of don't plug a USB flash drive in. What, what things are out there where if, <clears throat> hey, I had a momentary lapse of, of reason and uh, I plugged the flash drive in. So what are some things that are kind of fail safe things that come to your mind that people can do to maybe help them not become a victim of something like this being that maybe they, they just forget this warning. They don't know, or um, they accidentally plug it in because they, you know, just a bad day. Uh, the best thing to do is have a policy within your computers that your IT company would have to do, uh, which basically would block USB drives from being plugged into the computer. So even if they can physically plug it in, um, it's an essentially disabled so that therefore nothing can be written into the computer. And, and I would say after the fact, if you don't already have something in place to block processes, um, and after the fact you already stuck it in, you're probably looking at you need to, to wipe that computer and start over. And there's enough software out there that you can program uh, you can program it to block the use of these devices if you really want to, right? Where if you plug it in, um, you can have it say like this has been, you can have it just block completely or you can ask the user if they really want that device to be opened up by the operating system. Um, so FBI warning. Hackers are saying watch your flash drives, especially ones that are mailed to you, right? And, they, and these could just remember, guys, that these can come in under a lot of different premises. You know, it could look like, you know, obviously they're going to entice you to put plug that thing in, right? It could be for to win a free car or I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what they're doing these days. It could be anything. Just think of something um, that you get in the mail today that might be like free windows. I don't know. Um, stuff like that. And then these guys will use those different marketing tactics to try to get you to plug these drives in. So um, before we move on to our next topic, guys, we have a couple questions I'm going to throw up uh, from the audience. Um, let me just stop sharing that part of the screen real quick. Um, I think we should reference whatever show we did around this. But the first question I have is from Julie and uh, she says, what password manager would you recommend? And we did a whole show on password managers, if I'm not mistaken, right? So um, if you go back into our, our shows, Julie, and look up the one that's titled password managers, you can either go to securitysquawk.com, um, Apple iTunes, 
Google Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, wherever we're at. And you can find that show. It was probably, what, about three, four weeks ago? So three, four shows ago? Yeah, three um, weeks ago. I don't make a particular recommendation. I can just remember from going through that with you guys uh, that there were two that stood out for me. I know. Um, give me it, Randy. Give me Keeper. the name. Keeper. And then Robo Forum was the other one. Um, but we went through, I think, like five or six on that show. So, um, And we went through the different variations of w- – you know, the different features and benefits and, and whatnot. So you're welcome, Julie, go check out that show, but keeper and robo form. And I think last pass was kind of up there as well. If I remember correctly. Um, I don't know if this is a question or a comment, but let's throw it up there. Uh, would it not be a good idea for companies to have an old computer that they have laying around in the office on a completely different network or VLAN to test these things should they want to do any testing for software yes this is basically saying like should they have a test environment right and in a perfect world um where companies have the resources to dedicate and money to set up a test network um you can absolutely do something like this and it's actually best practices in my experience though the reality of it is is this is a rarity where you see test environments uh, set up for companies where they can do this. So he goes on to ask, uh, this can prevent a lot of threats for a company having a so-called sandbox testing machine. Correct. And, and, and it's a great point. Um, but <clears throat> the reality of it is to get something like that in place, um, you know, we're just trying to get companies to do the basics a lot of the times. And this is kind of way above and beyond, but in a perfect world, this is what every company would be working towards and, and would have. Right. So, you guys agree with with any of that or want to add to any of that question from Ruben? Yeah, like your, your typical 20, 30 employee office, the test environment is is basically live. Like, you know, there's a software that needs to be installed. You know, it's, it's from a reputable vendor. You install it, you let them test it. But, you know, if this is, if you're talking hundreds or thousands and those corporations have that budget for it, then absolutely. But smaller companies, that's very rare that you're going to have that type of um, process. Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, say, something along those lines. And then also, if you were going to have a local machine, not only does it need to be isolated, it would really need to be in some sort of a Faraday cage, um, which is basically chicken wire or something like that around it. So it can't use um, Wi-Fi, electromagnetic signals or what or what have you. Um so I think, like you said, this is going to be out of it probably wouldn't be safe for a smaller company to try to do something um, like this, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it wouldn't you need you need to have experts uh, involved and and there's a cost. And it's it's ultimately a very good security practice. But ultimately, most people just don't have the budget. We're going to see the value in doing something like that unless they're in IT or maybe some software development or something like that. So that's typically where we see it. We don't see it in most businesses. Um, so let's move on. Uh, so we have an interesting article here from our friends over at Joe over at MSSP Alert. Um, and this is a little bit of an interesting one. And I'm going to kind of preface the statistics here with the statement that um, this was absolutely a setup, right? These these hackers in this story were hired 
to do this for these companies. They were given permission yeah. to to kind of hack in, but they were also, in a sense, uh, a lot of people are going to look at this and say, well, oh, well, that company let them in, you know, let them kind of get in. Well, and, and we're going to go through this, but the important thing I want people to remember as we go through this is letting somebody in, in this manner, in this way, is no different than when your employees let a cyber criminal into your network. <clears throat> um you don't think these things will happen, but I'm here to tell you that that's how all these cyber attacks go down. Um, and nobody thinks they're ever going to get hacked. Uh, and then you're going to look at this and go, well, I, I would never do that. I would never click on that. I would never click run. I would know what to do if that showed up on my computer screen. Um, and I would never take that action. And, you know, I'm just here to say that I don't think that that's necessarily the case because there wouldn't be so many cyber attacks if it were. So, um, hackers penetrate 93% of local company networks, cyber simulation finds. So um, I don't know who wants to run point on the details of this article and, and what it means. So I'll just pass it off to one of you. Just start talking. Um, what's going on here? What is what is this article about? And, um, you know, what what I guess what did this company do that was hired and who did they do it to? Yeah, so essentially they did about 40, they did 45 um, attack scenarios, so 45 companies that they use. And then the industries are re really interesting because we're talking financial organizations was 29%, fuel and energy organizations, 18%, government, 16%, industrial, 16%, and IT companies. And um, I'm sure Randy will talk about the statistics and what they found, but these are like, you know, sectors that we need to operate as a country. And the fact that, you know, as they're going to be saying that they were able to um, penetrate more, the majority of them is very concerning. Yeah, I think uh, bottom line here is you have, you're starting off with companies that are wanting to get tested. So they're probably, at least that's my understanding. So they're probably already Either, either in a security mindset or moving towards a security mindset. But bottom line was they were able to get into every single, almost every single network to a ton of them, 93%. And they were able within a couple of days start getting control of things. And I think the, the gist of this article or the takeaway is that we're not as secure as we think we are. And we really need to get serious about being secure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's... Uh... It's one of those things where, you know, this. I just look at this article and I just think people will automatically go, well, we would never let them in like that. And you're kind of letting them in. So you're giving them a leg up. And what I'm trying to say is, is that the reality of it is, is this is exactly the environment that most cyber criminals walk into. It's not that difficult for them to get in or it's not that difficult for them to trick your employees to get their way in. So um, what interesting, give me one or two guys, uh, interesting stats. There's a bunch of stats peppered in here. Um, what interesting stats came out of this that you saw? I mean, for me, uh, it's, it's the headline stat um, that 93% of them were able to be penetrated. Um that's that's really rough, man. That's a, that's a really high number. It's basically everybody. 
Yeah, for me, it's a, the part where it says roughly seven in 10 companies, which is 71%, were um, attacked by poor passwords, including those used for administration. So we always talk about it in our, in our, in our, um, in our podcast, where a lot of this, majority of this can be prevented if they just practice common sense things. And we know common sense is not that common anymore, but all they had to do was just have a more secure password you know, more letters, characters, and not, you know, like we had a client, for example, that used password for their printer and they got hacked. And it's like all of these things that you just have to follow the basics and your chances of not getting affected go so much higher. Yep. And really just, it, it became a fishing expedition against these, what they're terming unacceptable events, right? So they identified six unacceptable unacceptable events at each of the clients that they pen tested. And then they went and tried to go after those six unacceptable events, right? And they were successful in 93% of them. So basically, you know, to, to say this another way, basically this is like a hacker looking at your business and saying, I can find all this stuff on the dark web. I can ping servers. I have access to, you know, certain IP addresses that I know this company owns. I've identified certain vulnerabilities that I know exist in this organization. And then you kind of combine those ingredients to, you know, use compromised credentials on the dark web and the access that you might currently have, or, you know, you might take, um, some information on the web, just doing some simple um, offensive research where you're just using LinkedIn and the website to try to fake fish people. And these are all things that these guys are doing in order to get into uh, the organization. And they're not being specific about what those unacceptable events are. We can sit here and pontificate on what they are. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all the same things that we report on when we report on cyber attacks. Whatever the reason is that a company got cyber attack is probably exactly what these unacceptable events are. Like we know that there's dark web passwords that are compromised um, and we're really not doing anything about it other than, you know, maybe monitoring or maybe we don't know at all. Maybe we're just completely have our head in the sand in the fact that we have to monitor the dark web for compromised credentials. Um, you never know, but that's, these are the kind of examples I want to give to people to, so they understand like what the little details and all these words mean um, from a practical standpoint. So anything else you guys want to add on this? I, I think that was good information, good statistics, um, really paints a interesting picture on the state of cybersecurity in a lot of businesses. Yeah, it does. So uh, one more thing, I, I was just curious to know. Um, so I, I did a I did a Google search that says percentage of cars stolen or broken into because of uh, door door open, and this article said that police say that ninety percent of car break-ins are in unlocked vehicles. So again, it's just like that wow. basic thing that you have to do, and your chances of your car being uh, someone entering your car it's, it just goes down so much. Yeah, hundred percent, and it's. No different with cybersecurity, right? With a lot of this stuff, it's reducing risk and reducing that percentage, that chance of of you getting cyber attacks. So, uh, you know, let's go into the next topic then about reducing your chance of being cyber attacked. And unfortunately, 
this is an interesting article because it's basically stating and pointing out to people that in some cases with this log4j vulnerability, um, it is not possible for this stuff to be patched or there will never be a patch for it. So, um, Randy, you were the one who brought this into the green room. And this has to do with federal agencies, this particular article. So what the heck is going on at federal agencies? Why is this a concern? And I guess how widespread is this among the government? Because I know government, I came from there. They love like a legacy systems, right? Systems that, you know what, these are never going to get patched, but we need to run them because they're so important. Yeah, I can't speak to how many agencies are actually using these devices, but bottom line, it's devices that the manufacturer has determined are end of life. That's what EOL stands for, end of life. So let's say that you have a smart switch and the, the manufacturer said the, EO, the end of life is October 1 of 2021. So we're past that end of life now, which means if they have a vulnerability for log4j, which is a Java vulnerability, it's in almost everything. If they have a vulnerability for that, the manufacturer is not going to update it. And so now you have a place in your network for uh, hackers to get a foothold. And maybe it's maybe they're just getting there and they can monitor your traffic. That's not good. Um, and you've got you've got a huge array of devices this can possibly apply to, not just switches, but switches, firewalls. You know, are they using um, you know, devices like, you know, uh, for Chromecasts, are they using smart, um, you know, smart sockets, electric sockets? Are they using, you know, smart devices to control the AC? I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, so the vulnerability is potentially very, very strong. Yeah. So I'm, my ADD's kicking in. Why is there a picture? What is this? A an iguana or a Komodo dragon or something? Like what is this? They needed to get it to press, and they just picked a random photo <laughs> off deposit photos and posted it up there. I feel or, you. Or it means I have no idea. Iguana protect <laughs> you or something? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what this this animal has. Maybe to do it's with. an old lizard on an old wall. <laughs> I don't know, man. Whatever. So. Um, one of the things that I, I found interesting in this article is the government gave federal agencies a December 24th deadline to get this thing patched. And as agencies were working through this and trying to figure out how to make this happen, it was kind of like, uh-oh, we're not going to be able to patch this because the manufacturer doesn't support it anymore, as Rand, Rand, Randy did a great job of explaining. Um, and... The other thing is, is that some of these vendors that the government identified because of supply chain and, and uh, um, pandemic issues, uh, they might not be able to patch these things right away. Like the, the software that that the government's using. So it's kind of like a double whammy or double edged sword with this, but it doesn't seem like our U.S. federal government is going to be able to easily deal with this log4j problem and it's going to be a vulnerability for a long time um so andre before i go in kind of like the next area of where i want to go with this conversation do you have anything you want to add to this 
you know, one thing I didn't, uh, one thing that I found interesting in the article, kind of in the middle, where it says most organizations know they're running the end of life um, software, and they haven't put the plan due to migration, um, uh, due to the migration because funding may have been pulled in 2020 or 2021 for COVID telework requirements. And I'm going to call that out because usually these legacy systems, you're, they're giving warning that this is going to happen. Like you're, you're knowing two, three years in advance that there's something, hey, we're going to be upgrading or we're no longer going to support this. And to just blame it on COVID and funding. I mean, it's as equal as, equally as important. And usually you plan these things years before. For them to say yeah, I, I think the proper way to frame that, and I, I agree with what you're saying. I think the proper way to frame that is, you were asleep at the wheel, and now you got to wake up, and now you got to, you know, you're going to blame COVID because now you got to spend a bunch of effort, time, and money getting these problems fixed, and you got to do it in the middle of a pandemic, which means you're probably working from home, or you're probably shorthanded, or people are probably sick right now because of the variant that's going around and things like that. I mean, that's the reality of of what we're dealing with today. So. Um, Let's just talk to kind of like everybody, the business owner and anyone out there that might have a similar situation where Log4j is in their environment. It's not getting fixed because the vendor that they use is no longer supporting the software or what have you. What are some practical things that businesses can do to protect themselves so this vulnerability isn't easy to exploit, easy to get to, um, you know, can, you know, antivirus doesn't pick up this stuff, right? So um, you got to use kind of special tools to scan for it and find it. Um, and if you know you have it, then what should you do with that system once you know you have it? I mean, what do you what, what do you guys suggest? For me, you take it offline. Yeah, get it as far away from the internet as you can, right? Um, right. <clears throat> there are ways, I guess, you know, business owners and people should understand you can still provide local area network access without internet access on systems. Um, not a not a perfect scenario to do that. Um, and then you might even want to think about segregating to the point where maybe just the people who need access to that program can communicate with that system. Um, you know what I mean? And not the whole entire company. So then you're you're basically reducing your 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 footprint, your threat risk surface area, as I call it, um, because instead of you know a seventy five person company with seventy five people being able to access that system, maybe you knock it down to like three or four people, um, and that reduces the chances of a you know seventy five people versus four people getting it getting you know hacked, and then a uh, cyber criminal being on one of those four systems and finding this and, and getting to it and exploiting it. So um, sounds like a lot, but this is the kind of stuff that happens all the time, right? Hackers are constantly, once they're in a network, are constantly looking for ways to move around and, and, and get better access, right? So anything you guys want to add to that? Um, yeah. So um, all, I mean, I know all three of us have the capability um, and most of your security people are going to be able to do this to search your networks for this file. Um, and then I would also suggest in the meantime, if you find them, a um, couple of things, you need to look for patches. Um, you need to ring fence, which means like find that process and don't let it do anything. 
Um, so if it's trying to do something, it can't. Um, and then um, also reach out to the manufacturers and find out what they're going to do about it. We we found this vulnerability in two places. Both manufacturers of the software said, oh, we don't use Log4j. Um, one even said, you know, hey, well, you can just delete the file. We don't use it, blah, blah, blah. So we put a we put like a um, a monitor on those two processes and and saw one of them. Right. Never got used. The other one was still like trying to just phone home back to the corporate, you know, back to the corporate uh, headquarters for that particular software. Um, so we just blocked all that. You can also look for specific IP addresses and or block. That's uh, basically addresses out on the Internet. Um, and you can block those from being hit. There's a lot of things that you can do to help uh, mitigate for this. Yeah, hire a professional like yeah, Randy. Sure. Don't try to take do this on your own. That's you, you. You need to hire a professional to do all that blocking stuff, blocking and tackling, right, Randy? Yep. Yeah. So. All right, boys. Um, anything else we want to add to this? We're good. All right. So the next thing we're going to uh, jump into here is, man, our schools have absolutely just been getting hammered, <clears throat> quite frankly, the last three years. Um, ransomware in schools is is just ridiculous, in my opinion. It happens all the time. Um, it disrupts remote learning, uh, among other things, and it costs taxpayers a lot of money. So headline is, despite billions in federal money, American schools remain vulnerable to cyber attacks. So, Andre, what's going Andre, on? Here? Yeah, it, it, oh, I hear you. Muted up, Rand. Okay. So, um, essentially, this report is talking about how the federal government has given the American school systems billions of dollars, and they still remain um, they still remain vulnerable. Now, my, my first thing about this is going back to the second to last article that we talked about is, you know, the federal government has a, um, they always just, they're just throwing money at things. And in this case, it, just like the, sec the, the article that talked about like 90 something percent of uh, tax on these corporations, it's the simple stuff. It's not that the school systems need to change out all of these systems. Now, yes, there could be old firewalls and legacy systems. But do they have the basics? Do they have the password management? Do they have the, the two-form factor authentication? And a lot of times, it's not that they need to um, replace all of this hardware and get the shiniest you know, new computers. It's just going back to the basics. And I think that's why it's this article is kind of correlating to say that despite all of this money being spent, you still have all these vulnerabilities because they're not doing the basics. And, you know, that's basically, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to sound <laughs> cynical right now, but a lot of times that's the government's answer for everything. It's just throw money at it. And, you know, throwing more money at something that's broken in the first place is not going to fix it. It's just going to give everybody raises and, you know, yeah, they might go out and buy new equipment with it or this and that. But if they're not doing things right in the first place, um, billions of dollars aren't going to make, aren't going to make a difference. And, you know, this is really, um, an opportunity for our industry to help that industry, if you will, you know, that market, uh, segment because they need to get secure and they've got the cash to do it. 
Um, they just don't know how, apparently. Yeah, like look at the article. The article said that um, she uh, she advises school districts to use multi-factor authentication, which requires at least two access points to log in. Well, that's free. You don't need a billion dollars to set up. You, yeah, you may need the manpower, but you don't need billions of dollars to set up two foreign factors. Yep. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's tough with the schools. Um, I, I'm familiar with a lot of the schools. I don't work with them a lot uh, in my company, uh, but I am absolutely in tune to what's going on in terms of like other companies that I'm friends with that I know that work in this space. Um, and, you know, I, I just see, unfortunately, I see uh, the way school districts structure their IT and how things are done. Um, it's very, a lot of times run mom and pop-ish where there's like one IT guy at a school um, or one IT guy at a district who's running maybe four, five, six, 10, nine, 11 schools. Um, I know here in New Jersey, I know of a guy who, who is the IT director for a school district. He's responsible for about 11 schools. Um, and he only has one person that helps him. So it's basically a two man show. Um, and we're well past the time in technology where, you can have one person responsible for everything, right? So if somebody's been responsible for managing your network for the past 20, 15 years, they do a good job of keeping it up and running. It's always available. Yet you have very little problems. Uh, and your expectation is, is that that person is going to be able to keep you safe from cyber criminals. I think the three of us are here to tell you today that that's not really how it works anymore. You need to have people who has specialized skills in infrastructure and also cybersecurity. It's not the same skill set. And to ask somebody to have skills in both areas and be good at it is, you know, a totally, you know, different ask, right? Um, you know, I can dribble a basketball, but I'm not LeBron James, right? And I'd much rather have LeBron James managing my cybersecurity uh, you know, than me, if I, you know, if we're talking about basketball oh, skill, right? So what's up? Well, I heard feedback. I'm sorry. We're good. Yep. I don't so, mine, I can mute my uh, computer. Uh, no, I'm good. So, I mean, that's the reality. I don't know if you guys agree with my kind of perspective on that, but that's where I'm at with this. It's like the days of like you using the same guy for all these different things are over. Right. So schools, if they have somebody who's really good at their infrastructure and keeping things running and they're happy with that, you really need to go outside of the school and outside of the district and probably bring in a third party to do the cybersecurity. And don't assume that the guy who runs your IT, A, has the skills, B, has the time, probably more important than anything. Right. If you're one or two people and you're managing that many schools, do you think you really have the time to be focusing on the things that need to be done from a cybersecurity standpoint. So that's just my experience and what I've seen out there and my input on, on what's going on in American schools and how things can improve. Um, so what are you guys, what, what are you guys thoughts? Agree, disagree, have any other perspectives there? Yeah, essentially it's a new position. It's, it's, it's a new body that needs to come in there to be able to manage your, your 
other aspect of technology. Let the guy still manage the network and make sure everything stays up, but you need someone dedicated just to the just to the cyber. And it's going to the same thing if you're a small business owner and you know you have your computer guy or your friend's cousins, you know, that's going to school, he cannot, there's no way that he can he, yes, he may be able to add memory and set up your outlook, but he's not cyber. And and I think that's what we have to drill into to business owners now. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree. And um, just goes back to that original point, like, you know, just throwing money at it's not going to fix the problem, even money and good intentions aren't going to fix the problem, we're going to have to change how we do things. Yep. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's really the bottom line, we have to change how we do things, we have to understand that the way we've done IT in the past can't be those, those ways can't, can't be applied to how we do cybersecurity in the future and, and things like that. So um, great show guys. Thanks for your input. Um, anything else you guys want to add, you know, for the show, anything we didn't talk about good to go. All right. Perfect. So remember everybody, please share our show, help us grow the show, share us out on social media with our live recording that you see here. You can also share our podcast out on your favorite podcast platform. I actually just, saw that we're on stitcher i saw a bunch of i was looking at our stats while we were recording and there's a ton of downloads from stitcher i didn't even know what stitcher was to be honest with you i think i've heard of it but we got a, we got some fans on stitcher so that's pretty cool um so keep sharing out our show the show grows every week uh and we appreciate you and we'll keep bringing you this content uh as long as you keep helping us out by sharing us watching us commenting liking all that good stuff so we'll see y'all next week have a good one Mm-hmm.